Chapter 9 of Great Men and Famous Women, Volume 4, edited by Charles F. Horn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. John Adams, 1735-1826, by Edwin Williams. John Adams, the second President of the United States, was born on the 19th of October, Old Style, 1735 in that part of the town of braintree near boston massachusetts which has since been incorporated by the name of quincy he was the fourth in descent from henry adams who fled from persecution in devonshire england and settled in massachusetts about the year sixteen thirty another of the ancestors of mr adams was john alden one of the pilgrim founders of the plymouth colony in sixteen twenty Receiving his early education in his native town, John Adams in 1751 was admitted a member of Harvard College at Cambridge, where he graduated in regular course four years afterward. On leaving college, he went to Worcester for the purpose of studying law, and at the same time to support himself according to the usage at that time in New England, by teaching in the grammar school of that town. He studied law with James Putnam, a barrister of eminence, by whom he was afterward introduced to the acquaintance of Jeremy Gridley, then Attorney General of the province, who proposed him to the court for admissions to the bar of Suffolk County in 1758, and gave him access to his library, which was then one of the best in America. Mr. Adams commenced the practice of his profession in his native town and by travelling the circuits with the court became well known in that part of the country in seventeen sixty six by the advice of mr gridley he removed to boston where he soon distinguished himself at the bar by his superior talents in counsel and advocate at an earlier period of his life his thoughts had begun to turn on general politics and the prospects of his country engaged his attention soon after leaving college he wrote a letter to a friend dated at worcester october twelfth seventeen fifty five which evinces so remarkable a foresight that it is fortunate it has been preserved we make the following extracts soon after the reformation a few people came over into this new world for conscience sake perhaps this apparently trivial incident may transfer the great seat of empire into america it looks likely to me if we can remove the turbulent gallics our people according to the exactest computation will in another century become more numerous than england herself the only way to keep us from setting up for ourselves is to disunite us divide et impera keep us in distinct colonies and then some great men in each colony desiring the monarchy of the whole will destroy each other's influence and keep the country in equilibrio be not surprised that i am turned politician the whole town is immersed in politics i sit and hear and after being led through a maze of sage observations i sometimes retire and by laying things together form some reflections pleasing to myself the produce of one of these reveries you have read above mr webster observes it is remarkable that the author of this prognostication should live to see fulfilled to the letter 
what could have seemed to others at the time but the extravagance of youthful fancy his earliest political feelings were thus strongly american and from this ardent attachment to his native soil he never departed in seventeen sixty four he married abigail smith daughter of rev william smith of weymouth and granddaughter of colonel quincy a lady of uncommon endowments and excellent education he had previously imbibed a prejudice against the prevailing religious opinions of new england and became attached to speculations hostile to those opinions nor were his views afterward changed in his religious sentiments he accorded with dr bancroft a unitarian minister of worcester of whose printed sermons he expressed his high approbation in seventeen sixty five mr adams published an essay on canon and feudal law the object of which was to show the conspiracy between church and state for the purpose of oppressing the people in seventeen seventy he was chosen a representative from the town of boston in the legislature of massachusetts the same year he was one of the council who defended captain preston and the british soldiers who fired at his order upon the inhabitants of boston captain preston was acquitted and mr adams lost no favor with his fellow-citizens by engaging in this trial as a member of the legislature he opposed the royal governor hutchinson in his measures and also wrote against the british government in the newspapers in seventeen seventy four he was elected a member of the massachusetts council and negatived by governor gage in this and the next year he wrote on the whig side the pamphlets called nov anglis in reply to essays signed massachusettensis in favor of the british government by sewell the attorney-general the same year he was appointed a member of the continental congress for massachusetts and in that body which met in philadelphia he became one of the most efficient and able advocates of liberty in the congress which met in may seventeen seventy five he again took his seat having been reappointed as a delegate in seventeen seventy five he seconded the nomination of washington as commander-in-chief of the army and in july seventeen seventy six he was the adviser and great supporter of the declaration of independence it was reported by a committee composed of thomas jefferson john adams benjamin franklin roger sherman and robert r livingston during the same year he with dr franklin and edward rutledge was deputed to treat with lord howe for the pacification of the colonies he declined at this time the offer of the office of chief justice of the supreme court of massachusetts in december of seventeen seventy seven mr adams was appointed a commissioner to the court of france and with the exception of one short interval during which he aided in the framing of the massachusetts state constitution he spent the following eleven years in diplomatic services abroad he arranged the treaties of the united states with most foreign nations during that time was associated with franklin and jay in signing the treaty of peace with england and was our first english minister the services of mr adams in the cause of his country at home and abroad during the period to which we have referred it is believed were not excelled by those of any other of the patriots of the revolution in the language of one of his eulogists mr j e sprague of massachusetts 
not a hundred men in the country could have been acquainted with any part of the labors of mr adams they appeared anonymously or under assumed titles they were concealed in the secret conclaves of congress or the more secret cabinets of princes such services are never known to the public or if known only in history when the actors of the day have passed from the stage and the motives for longer concealment cease to exist as we ascend the mount of history and rise above the vapors of party prejudice we shall all acknowledge that we owe our independence more to john adams than any other created being and that he was the great leader of the american revolution when permission was given him to return from europe the continental congress adopted the following resolution resolved that congress entertain a high sense of the services which mr adams has rendered to the united states in the execution of the various important trusts which they have from time to time committed to him and that the thanks of congress be presented to him for the patriotism perseverance integrity and diligence with which he has ably and faithfully served his country such was the testimonial of his country expressed through the national councils at the termination of his revolutionary and diplomatic career during the absence of mr adams in europe the constitution of the united states had been formed and adopted he highly approved of its provisions and on his return when it was about to go into operation he was selected by the friends of the constitution to be placed on the ticket with washington as a candidate for one of the two highest offices in the gift of the people he was consequently elected vice-president and on the assembling of the senate he took his seat as president of that body at new york in april seventeen eighty nine having been re-elected to that office in seventeen ninety two he held it and presided in the senate with great dignity during the entire period of the administration of washington whose confidence he enjoyed and by whom he was consulted on important questions in his valedictory address to the senate he remarks it is a collection of which nothing can ever deprive me and it will be a source of comfort to me through the remainder of my life that on the one hand i have for eight years held a second situation under our constitution in perfect and uninterrupted harmony with the first without envy in the one or jealousy in the other so on the other hand i have never had the smallest misunderstanding with any member of the senate in seventeen ninety mr adams wrote his celebrated discourses on davila they were anonymously published at first in the gazette of the united states of philadelphia in a series of numbers they may be considered as a sequel to his defense of the american constitutions he was a decided friend and patron of literature and the arts and while in europe having obtained much information on the subject of public institutions he contributed largely to the advancement of establishments in his native state for the encouragement of arts sciences and letters on the retirement of general washington from the presidency of the united states mr adams was elected his successor after a close and spirited contest with the two rivals for that high office mr jefferson being supported by the democratic or republican party while a portion of the federal party preferred mr thomas pinckney of south carolina who was placed on the ticket with mr adams the result 
was the election of Mr. Adams as president, and in March 1797 he entered upon his duties in that office. He came to the presidency in a stormy time. In the language of Colonel Knapp, the French Revolution had just reached its highest point of settled delirium after some of the paroxysms of its fury had passed away. The people of the United States took sides, some approving, others deprecating the course pursued by France. Mr. Adams wished to preserve a neutrality, but found this quite impossible. A navy was raised, with surprising promptitude, to prevent insolence and to chastise aggression. It had the desired effect, and France was taught that the Americans were friends in peace, but were not fearful of war when it could not be averted. When the historian shall come to this page of our history, he will do justice to the sagacity, to the spirit, and to the integrity of Mr. Adams, and will find that he had more reasons, and good ones, for his conduct than his friends or enemies ever gave him. In his course of public policy, when war with France was expected, he was encouraged by addresses from all quarters and by the approving voice of Washington. He, however, gave dissatisfaction to many of his own political party in his final attempts to conciliate France and in his removal of two members of his cabinet toward the close of his administration. Under these circumstances, notwithstanding Mr. Adams was the candidate of the federal party for re-election as president and received their faithful support, it is not strange that his opponents, with the advantage in their favor of the superior popularity of Mr. Jefferson, succeeded in defeating him. For this event, the correspondence of Mr. Adams shows that he was prepared, and he left the arduous duties of chief magistrate probably with less of disappointment than his enemies expected. Immediately after Mr. Jefferson had succeeded to the presidency in 1801, Mr. Adams retired to his estate at Quincy in Massachusetts and passed the remainder of his days in literary and scientific leisure, though occasionally addressing various communications to the public. He gave his support generally to the administration of Mr. Jefferson, and the friendship between these distinguished men was revived by a correspondence, and continued for several years previous to their death. When the disputes with Great Britain eventuated into war, Mr. Adams avowed his approbation of that measure, and in 1815 he saw the second treaty of peace concluded with that nation, by a commission of which his son was at the head as he had been himself in that commission which formed the Treaty of 1783. In 1816, the Republican Party in Massachusetts, which had once vehemently opposed him as President of the United States, paid him the compliment of placing his name at the head of their list of presidential electors. In 1820, he was chosen as member of the state convention to revise the Constitution of Massachusetts which body unanimously solicited him to act as their president. This he declined on account of his age, but he was complimented by a vote of the convention acknowledging his great services, for a period of more than half a century, in the cause of his country and of mankind. The last years of the long life of Mr. Adams were peaceful and tranquil. 
his mansion was always the abode of elegant hospitality and he was occasionally enlivened by visits from his distinguished son whom in eighteen twenty five had the singular felicity of seeing elevated to the office of president of the united states at length having lived to a good old age he expired surrounded by his affectionate relatives on july fourth eighteen twenty six the fiftieth anniversary of that independence which he had done so much to achieve a short time before his death being asked to suggest a toast for the customary celebration he replied i will give you independence forever mr jefferson died on the same day a similar coincidence occurred five years afterward in the death of president monroe july fourth eighteen thirty one mr adams was of middle stature and full person and when elected president was bald on the top of his head his countenance beamed with intelligence and moral as well as physical courage his walk was firm and dignified to a late period of his life his manner was slow and deliberate unless he was excited and when this happened he expressed himself with great energy he was ever a man of purest morals and is said to have been a firm believer in christianity not from habit and example but from diligent investigation of its proofs. End of chapter 9